Hey everybody, I'm Eugene Driscoll. <clears throat> Welcome to a very special episode of Navel Gazing, the Valley Indie Podcast. Just arrived <coughs> from the streets of Ansonia, at least right now you were just outside. The mean streets. Is our, our guest today, Seymour First Selectman, Kurt Miller. Always a pleasure to be here with you, fine gentlemen. Yeah, we really do appreciate you uh, coming down here. Then uh, over on the other side of me is Ethan Fry. I don't know if Ethan could even be seen. Yeah, I just cut into the shot for a second. Okay. But so I'm, Yeah, monitoring the... Uh, Am I on camera or did I waste... Should I not have wore a tie? You are completely on camera. So good Ethan, thing I wore a tie then. Ethan's got to speak up probably when he if he speaks. But really, Ethan today is going to be our camera person and our producer, essentially. Make sure we stay online and all that kind of good stuff. So, like I said, our guest today is Seymour First Selectman Kurt Miller. Can I add something about our producer? Or am I cutting you off? Let's go. I mean, I only had, you know, eight pages of, of stuff. Let's go. We have plenty of time. No, I was in the city of Shelton, and I saw this person that kept running by me. That was seemed to be doing laps. And, From the police? Oh. <laughs> and it was our runner friend over there. He's getting himself in the shape. He was concerned about some holiday pounds he had put on. And he yeah, was out running hard in the cold. Compensating for the eggnog and, and beer, pretty much. A well, lot of work to do. I was, so. I was proud of him out there working hard. Thank you. It's had no effect on his personality. He's still uh, pleasant. <laughs> also joining us in a couple of minutes, in about uh, nine minutes, will be uh, Jennifer Magri. Am I saying her name correctly? Yes. All right. Just want to make sure. And she is the relatively new chairperson of the Seymour Board of Education. Yeah, longtime member. Just became the chair in uh, this year. Uh, so we have a lot of Seymour news to talk about uh, in the next hour or so. If you have any questions for the first selectman, anything at all related to uh, the town of Seymour, feel free to post your question in the comments section. What we'll do is, after uh, Jen calls in, we're going to talk about some Seymour school budget-specific issues. Uh, and then we're, when we're done with that, we'll look to see if uh, there are any questions you have, and we'll pose them to the first selectman. So I wanted to talk about, uh, first, the Seymour school budget with the first selectman and Jen Magri when she calls in at 1210. Then I wanted to answer your questions or to have the first selectman answer your questions that you can post right now. And then I wanted to sort of open it up and maybe talk about State Rep uh, Linda Gentile retiring mm -hmm. and then anything at all that, that comes our way. We'll see uh, how much time we have. Absolutely. So uh, before we do all that, I just wanted to take care of some basic housekeeping, uh, if you will. Uh, first, a programming note. We are streaming this <coughs> right now on Facebook Live, but we'll also be publishing this as a traditional podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Libsyn as well. And then second, totally unrelated but important nonetheless, if you purchased a Valley Indie t-shirt, I don't think you did. No, I did not. Kurt did not support our fundraiser. But You didn't about, have sizes. I'm an extra large. Let's not I've kid ourselves. I've got three triple XLs coming to my house. I can show you the email. So don't be, don't, okay. So, Kurt's a very good politician. Fake news. Uh, if you ordered a t-shirt... Unlike Mr. Miller here, but there's 52 of you who did, and thank you so much for that. You should check your email. You're going to have an email saying that your shirt has been shipped. Uh, once you get that email, I got mine this morning, literally overnight. You can uh, track your package, and you can track it by using the link that Ethan is going to drop in the comment section right now. We raised about 500 bucks through uh, t-shirt sales from this uh, third party called Custom Inc., which is 
awesome. So your Excellent. shirts your shirts are on the way. And if you have any problems with your shipment or you think we're scamming you, call 844-537-3998. That's 844-537-3998. That is Custom Inc. And if you call them, they actually pick up the phone. Uh, and then thirdly, I just wanted to say uh, that's in our, our, our post uh, as it is right now on Facebook. We are sponsored this year by valleygivesback.org. That is a new initiative from the Valley Community Foundation. Uh, and I just wanted to read a quick message uh, and thank valleygivesback.org for their sponsorship of this podcast. Adding a Valley charity to your estate plan creates a lasting legacy that tells future generations what causes matter to you. Your action will inspire others to follow your lead and make a difference. With a planned gift, you have the power to impact the community forever without affecting your current lifestyle. Learn more at valleygivesback.org. Plan now, give later, and impact tomorrow at valleygivesback.org. All right, now on the show. Wow, you that, was, that was so, well done. I know, I'm nervous. I mean, dramatic pauses. I feel like we're in the big time. That was well produced. Thank you. That was a nice show. Thank you very much. I did, I promoted this on Twitter by saying if you're into like news shows with less production value than cable access, this is the this is the news program. This is the beat and the potatoes. There's no flash here. It's all information. No. Pure American local news. First hand. So first I wanted to talk about uh, Seymour's budget and I guess the school budget specifically. And again, Jen Magri from the Board of Ed will be calling in in a few minutes. And I've exchanged emails with the Seymour School Superintendent, Mike Wilson. He, he's out of town, I guess, or maybe yes. he's, he's at a conference. Yep. So he couldn't come on, but we've exchanged uh, emails to, to uh, talk about. I mean, there were layoffs uh, last month within the school district. Mm-hmm. And so first I thought if you could just explain, uh, and obviously the, the state budget process last year was unlike anything that – I've ever seen. Uh, I haven't been in Connecticut that long. If you could sort of give us a rundown of what got us to last month's meeting uh, where the Seymour Board of Ed laid people off. Um, You know, the current fiscal year that we're in for the state of Connecticut, we, when we created our budget for fiscal year 18, which is what we're in now, we used a certain set of numbers that were provided to us by the state. Um, at that point, if you remember, because we talked about this a lot. And this, we, was la- this was a budget approved by voters last, last May. May. Yep. Uh, building that budget, we put certain assumption in, assumptions in that there would be cuts in state funding. And remember, we talked about Seymour was prepared mm-hmm. uh, to be able to handle somewhere between eight or $900,000 in cuts. With and Seymour, the, both the, the town and the school district? Right. So just okay. when I say Seymour, I mean globally, okay. both, both budgets. Um, Seymour received the 18th largest cut in state funding, so we received cuts of about 1.9 million to date, and I expect there's going to be more cuts uh, coming down the road. So we had about a million dollar shortfall that we were unprepared for. Um, Couple that with special education costs, and we can do the best job we possibly can in estimating those, but as special needs students move around, you know, from place to place with their with their parents, just normal moving around of families, we become responsible for that child as soon as he or she moves into the district. We are running somewhere between four and five hundred thousand dollars over budget just on special need costs. So we had to make some decisions as to how we would close 
these holes. And then special education, just I'm sure people probably know this if you're taking the time to watch this podcast, but special education costs can become very expensive because if a child needs to be sent outside the school district Correct. because the school cannot meet, cannot educate them properly right. due to challenges or what have you, the school district has to pay for transportation and tuition, and that's pretty much what drives up yes. that cost. And it's hard to predict from year to year. Right, and every child in Connecticut uh, deserves the right to have the best education that they can get. So some of these kids, unfortunately, we can't educate within our own school, so we do need to send them out. And it could get expenses upwards of uh, you know $100,000 or more per student. So while we would, you know, you try to plan and you try to budget for these, if you get four or five that come in, move into Seymour in a year that are unsus- unexpected, it puts a huge burden on the budget. So and there's a whole larger issue of the federal government not doing enough to uh, reimburse towns for those expenses. Absolutely. I guess yeah. that's probably, I don't mean to throw you off track. No, no, but that, but so that leads to it. I mean, th- that burden falls entirely then on the taxpayers of the town of Seymour, and that burden puts stress on other parts of the budget. And when you look at operations like we have, I mean, our biggest costs every year um, for most towns and cities is the cost of our employees because we have so many of them, particularly the Board of Education, and I'm sure Jen can, you know, elaborate on the numbers a little bit more. But, you know, their 75 to 80 percent of their costs are driven simply by staff. So that's salary and benefits. And when you have to make large cuts, unfortunately, that 20% that's left, a lot of that is fixed costs, whether it be utilities or needed technology, things like that. You can't make cuts there. And if you do, I mean, you ruin the education process for our kids. So unfortunately, you, that, at that point, you have to start to look at um, the employees. And, and you have kids in the school district, too. You send yes. your kids to yeah. your... Yeah, my daughter goes to uh, Chaffield. So, you know, the Board of Education looked at cuts that can be made that had the least impact on the learning environment for the students. And it looked like, according to meeting minutes that I looked over from last month, they had to cut $630,000? Then that was taken down to $300,000, essentially? $630,000 was the number that I asked the Board of Education to contribute to roughly that million-dollar hole that we had. And this is going to be most likely Jen Magri calling, so I'm just going to apologize for interrupting Kurt, but... Hi, Jen. It's Eugene at the Valley Indy. It would help if I actually answered the phone. <laughs> Hi, Jen. It's Eugene from the Valley Indy. Can you hear me? I can hear you. All right. We are live on the Facebook. Thank you so much for joining us. Quite well. So right now at this point, Kurt was just explaining the uh, dollar amount that needed to be cut from uh, the Seymour school budget uh, because of the state budget woes. And I had said 630, but you were clarifying that. Yeah, the, the 630 was the initial amount that I had asked uh, the Board of Education to come up with. And they came up with that number. But then again, you had to add in, as we talked about, that over, the overruns in special education costs. So when you factored that back in, they had to find other places to make cuts at that point, because that number still had to be paid. Now, if the Board of Education can't absorb it in its budget, then that just falls to the bottom line and needs to be absorbed overall by the budget. So, you know, it's a right pocket, left pocket thing, but we have to stop looking at these budgets as right pocket and left pocket. It's the Here's taxpayers. Not the table yeah. it'll really be thunder. Sorry. It, it's the taxpayers of Seymour's money. So I'm confused, though. Cause, I mean, and this is, this is I'll, I'll let 
fully admit this is where I am. There's lots of areas I'm an idiot in. I'm a complete ignoramus when it comes to school budgeting. Mm -hmm. uh, so how much money did they have to, if you could break it down to the simplest, how much money did they have to cut when they met last month? The total cuts were in the neighborhood of a million dollars. Okay. In total. Because, uh, I, I mean, I was reading the meeting minutes. I, I swore it said 630 and then they actually made $300,000 in cuts. Was that... Was I completely misinterpreting that? No, or? well, it's it's six hundred thousand, and then you have to subtract or add back in, I should say, the overruns and special ed costs. Okay. Oh, that didn't include that. Right. I was under the impression right. that was all included. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so then, Jen, just turning to you uh, as a member of the school board for a long time and an active person in the valley in general, uh, I assume this was not an easy decision. From what I understand, one of the things that ended up happening was you decided to lay off 13 clerical paraprofessionals. Uh, how did you arrive at that decision, Jim? And that's Kurt. Sorry, I don't know how to make my phone stop. We have Kurt's phone. Jen, can you still hear me? Okay, you're, cu you're, you're cutting off a little, but I had just asked how you arrived at that decision. And, uh, I mean, I assume it wasn't an easy decision, uh, particularly right before Christmas. Oh, absolutely. You know, this is ever something that I want to do. Um, I feel for the people that were affected. Um, you know, unfortunately, over the course of my career, um, I've been on both sides of discussion um, throughout my, my lifetime. Um, it's never an easy decision. You know, what happened um, is that, you know, the central office staff and our administration, you know, knew that we needed to take a cut. Um, this is very much a discussion that her and the town was part of um, because we worked very, very well together. Um, so we went into this saying, you know, what could we do that was least impactful to the instruction of our students? Um, at the end of the day, had a cut. Um, the proposal was cut clerical paraprofessionals, which classification of paraprofessionals. Um, it was something that none of us wanted to do. Had quite a bit of discussion about it. Um, where this was presented to us, and you know, tried to find other alternatives, and unfortunately, were unable. No. Yeah, and Jen, unfortunately, I mean, you'll probably like hearing this because who wants to talk about this live on a podcast? But your phone is breaking up, or it could be uh, my end. We've, we were hearing every other word, but what you said did come through, that it wasn't an, uh, an easy decision to make, and uh, basically that you had to do what you had to do to give the least impact or to have the least impact <coughs> on, uh, on the kids uh, within the schools. So instead of dragging this on, uh, if the phone isn't working, I'm going to thank you for your time. I apologize for cutting you so short, but I also have an email from uh, the superintendent that I can go over to sort of ask uh, and answer these other questions that I have. So thank you so much, and I apologize. Would you like me to try and call from a different phone? I can try and do that. Well, now you're coming in, now you're yeah. coming in really well. Okay, so I'll hang on and we'll see how it goes. All right, yeah, let me just ask you again because you might have uh, answered this already, but I, when I heard paraprofessionals at first, which I thought were teachers' aides that are, 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 are tied to kids who might need special education, what is a clerical paraprofessional? Okay, so in, in Seymour, just to make it clear, we had three classifications of paraprofessionals. One was monitors, which basically just do lunch and recess duty. There were clerical paraprofessionals, which basically were um, 
people who helped with secretarial type tasks and may do some um, lunch or recess duty as well. And then we have instructional paraprofessionals, which are the people who work uh, typically one-on-one -on -one with a lot of our special education students. And those are required by PPPs and IEPs to be um, an aid to a particular student. So there's three different classifications. Um, we looked at those classifications and we eliminated the clerical paraprofessional classification. So it affected all um, paraprofessionals that were clerical in nature. And then in terms of, is there any chance that uh, these positions can be brought back? I, I thought I saw something in meeting minutes saying that 13 workers is, is uh, it, that's a that's a lot for the for the school district. I thought it said three percent, but that doesn't sound right now that I say it out loud. But uh, is there any hope that as you've started this new budget cycle, these peop these positions can be restored uh, in any way? Um, it is not something that was restored in the <coughs> budget that was approved last evening. Um, you know, unfortunately, as we continue to have to you know come leaner. Um, this is an area which we felt um, was something that, you know, though these women um, absolutely were part of our community, we hated to see them go. It was an area, like I said, was, was the least impactful to instruction, um, which is why we ended up making the cut that we did. Um, and then there is no plan at this time to restore that classification. Um, then, Jen, what about what about other uh, pro, were any program cuts made? What uh, what else did you have to do last month to uh, to, to satisfy these cuts that had to be made? Um, we also eliminated the winter spring college intern program, um, and what that is is uh, we have college interns who are students that are typically pursuing their master's degree and need teaching experience, so they work in our buildings. Um, typically as substitutes and, and with teachers as part of their overall teacher training. Um, so that is something that we walked away from um, for this next semester as well. And then uh, you had mentioned last night uh, the superintendent presented, I guess, his recommended budget and the school board uh, endorsed it? Um, the school board voted on the proposed budget and we accepted the budget but made a few amendments. Um, so I can actually give you the uh, figures if you would like those. Yeah, before you do that, let me just ask, because, again, I'm an ignoramus. It's always important to keep in mind. Uh, when you say, does this now, does the school board start reviewing it, or does it, you've adopted it, and now it gets passed to the town's board of finance? We have adopted the budget, and it will be passed to the board of finance. Okay, gotcha. All right, yeah, What? how does it compare to last year's budget uh, in terms of spending and, and percent increase? If you could okay. give it those generalities. Sure, absolutely. I can actually give you uh, specific figures, so if you have a pen and piece of paper. Um, last year, the overall school budget was $32,974,308. Okay. The budget for the 17-18 uh, school year will be 33,378,752. Okay. Which is a 404 or 44 increase, which equates to 1.23 percent. Okay, and that is being what it, that is what is being requested. And so, uh, I assume uh, that's a pretty. Are there any new programs in there? Is anybody getting raises in this budget? Um, sure. So, 
Uh, let me speak to uh, proposed additions. There is the addition of a special education program at Bungie School. Um, that includes adding a special education teacher and an instructional paraprofessional. Um, that program um, would allow us to provide uh, a behavioral classroom for some of our students who have special needs. Um, it is the hope that that is a uh, mitigating factor moving forward as um, students with needs perhaps come into our district or are identified as needing extra support in that area, that we would not have to outplace more students. The hope is also that we may be able to bring um, a few of the students that are currently outplaced back into district with the addition of this classroom. Okay. And uh, what happens if the Board of Finance, let's say, trims uh, some of that roughly 1% increase? Is, that gonna do, is there any wiggle room with this budget? Um, I would say that there's, you know, very little wiggle room. Um, you know, we're about as lean as we can get without um, affecting programs and staff. Um, so obviously, if the Board of Finance came back and said, you know, this is not going to fly, we would have to have more discussion at the Board of Education level, um, along with our central office staff to figure out what we can do. Um, I, I'm relatively confident, and, and Kirk can speak to this as well, that um, the Board of Finance will um, be accepting of this budget, whether the taxpayers will is, you know, another um, phase that we have to go through. But we have worked side by side with the town um, because of our, our great relationship with downtown in developing this and making sure that our uh, proposed increases are in line with what Kurt and the town uh, are looking for to make sure that we can stabilize our our mill rate and all that wonderful stuff. So I think Kirk can probably, you know, add what I just mentioned. And then I just want to ask you one more question, Jen, and then I'll let you go because you you have to work for for a living. Unlike I do, you. I do. Yeah, and so re I really do appreciate you, you know, taking your lunch break essentially to to talk to us. But uh, there was that issue that I had uh, messaged you about, and I messaged the superintendent as well, and I think I might have mentioned it to uh, First Selectman Miller as well. There was, and I know nothing about it because uh, we haven't covered this at all. But I guess last year. Uh, when the former superintendent was leaving, there were some questions about uh, spending that was done about June 30th of last year. And uh, the former superintendent wrote a letter saying, hey, and I'm paraphrasing this all, hey, these purchase orders were made for a lot of money, but they were made on my last day and I was the only one there and I didn't approve some of these purchases. Uh, did the school board ever get to the, of, of the bottom of what happened there? And uh, had some of those purchases not happened, would we have not had to lay off people uh, last month? Sure. Um, the finance subcommittee of the Board of Ed had met and discussed what essentially is our year-end encumbrance process. Um, and certainly going forward, um, as part of that discussion, we're going to be receiving more information about planned and potential year-end purchases. Um, with respect to whether or not um, what happened in the last fiscal year could have um, helped us with this fiscal year. That's not how this works. Um, what happens is we get an allocation from, from the town for our fiscal year. That is the money we can spend within that fiscal year. 
we can't roll over money. As you know, we have no contingency fund. So that bottom line amount that we have made available to us is what we have to work with. So typically what happens is you know, anything that is a purchase, say, for equipment or maintenance or something that we can defer towards the end of the school year, that is what we do um, because you never know the earlier point, are we going to have another special education student then that we're going to have to um, take on the fees for. Um, so we leave purchases to the very end of the year um, when we know how much money we have left. Um, you know, I think some of the transition um, you know, with Christine leaving and Mike coming on, um, we weren't completely through that process. Um, it would not have helped us this year because, again, um, that was for last fiscal year. And was there anything improper? Uh, improper? Or was anybody held accountable for some of those last-minute uh, purchases in terms? I know there was like there was hurdles purchased for something like fourteen thousand yep. dollars. Just for people who are listening who don't know, and I think there was a shed uh, purchased. And okay, the former so, superintendent was saying, well, I, I, I didn't sign off on those. There, Who did? <clears throat> let, me, let me just finish. There was no shed purchase, so that, that did not happen. Um, there were some things that were purchased that we have an, an, an open list of things that we need in the district. Um, sometimes we can buy them in a given school year. Sometimes they get for the next school year. So if we have some money at the end of a school year, we look at, you know, what are the things the district has on its list of things that they would like to purchase? And we'll sometimes purchase those things um, in a year sooner or in a year later from when we initially projected them. So we did purchase, you know, some hurdles, some tables. Um, those are all things that we needed to purchase, whether we purchased them last year or this year. Um, they needed to be purchased. Okay, so nobody got in trouble, essentially, or was reprimanded. No, 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 no. Okay. no I think, you know, we, we met, we made sure that, you know, moving forward, um, we're going to have a lot better communication about this, so there isn't confusion and some of us saying, you know, why is this happening versus something else not happening. Um, so we are confident at the board level that we have addressed, you know, the process now that, you know, we have a new superintendent, this is how it's going to work, here's how we're going to find out about these things, so that, you know, we have a voice in the process at the end of the year that says, okay, you know, these are the things we think is important. Are we on the same page? Okay, Jen, thank you so much again for uh, taking the time <coughs> to come on and uh, talk to us today. I really do appreciate it. You're quite welcome. Have a great day. All right, you too. Okay, bye-bye. All right, so that was Jennifer Magri. She knows her stuff. From Yeah, I know this is the longest Kurt Miller has ever sat in one place I'm, without having to say I'm enjoying, uh, I enjoyed anything. that a little bit. But the only thing I'll add there uh, was that the superintendent had sent me an email. I had asked him how much cost savings did the school district realize after uh, laying off 13 uh, employees. And were these full-time employees, do you know? Were they? Uh, yeah, yeah, full-time employees. Wow, okay. I mean, they worked the school year. Right. So, I mean, they get the summers off like the kids do. Normal, but the, yeah, normal. they work the full school year. So yeah, full-time employees. So since this took place as of December 31st, that's, that was their last day, the total cost savings was approximately $212,000. And obviously, you have to pay uh, unemployment That's factored into that number. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah so that's the net uh, number. And then just in terms of, I mean, obviously this is more than a number. These are people, yep. uh, probably a lot of people who, who live, live in town. Yeah. Uh, is this the most? I mean, I don't remember since we've launched, uh, we, since we've been around, we launched in 2009, of, of something like this happening. Uh, 
Is this a, sort of the, the most? This is the most this is severe, I guess. It's the most layoffs that I remember us having in some time. I can't say if it's the most we've ever, ever had, but, but it's the most in my memory. Since you've come in, in the yeah. you've been six years. Six years. And it's the first time we've really done any major layoffs at all in the six years. But I'm just thinking well, back as long as I've been involved, probably you know, 15 or 16 years now. So now I know, uh, I mean, the other thing that I saw in those meeting minutes was that you scheduled a sort of Seymour Summit you yes. was billed as, I guess, for right before Christmas. Yep. Uh, so what's going to, how do you prevent this from happening again? To, or at least what can the town do? Because obviously, you know, Jen had mentioned that you're in on these meetings. You were at the meeting last night or... No. I was unable. I was at a different meeting last night. But you, the town but really is—it's not like in, in some towns you go. It's like the school district's <coughs> over here and the town is over here. No, uh, not and then at, at all. budget time, they meet at May. Right. Um, so what are you doing? What was the Seymour Summit, and, and what are you doing to prepare for what could happen again? You know, the Seymour Summit. I brought together um, a lot of the depart senior department heads, um, chairman of the board of finance, superintendent. Uh, we met for two days off-site, and we essentially went through the budget top to bottom, working on not only fiscal year 18, but preparing for fiscal year 19. We brought in our auditors, we brought in a lot of our larger financial vendors, and we just spent the two days going through the budget looking for ways, number one, to make the 2018 budget, the one that we're currently in, a little bit more palatable and getting us through it. And then, I'm sorry, this microphone is so sensitive. You would think I was Italian, the way I wave my hands around. Um, and then working on the, somebody's calling the fiscal now, year 19. Sorry, Cyprus, you're spam anyway. Yeah. Um, and working on the fiscal year 19 budget to make sure that that budget uh, does not have any tax spikes, any tax uh, abnormalities in it. Um, yeah, are you going to be able to? I mean, that's a 1%. What's your, what's your uh, reaction to the school budget that was approved last night and now is going to your Board of Finance? Uh, actually, I'm very happy with the 1.23 budget uh, increase that they came up with. Um, it fits right into the plan that I had overall of where I'd like to see the school board come in. Uh, overall, it's looking that the town is going to be about a half a percent below where it was now next year. So we're going to be able to. This is where I just. This is why I'm a writer. It's going to cost what? It's going to cost less to your, run the. Your, your budget's going to shrink. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you see, you're a writer. You I summarize that much better than I was. So uh, you know, the end of the day, the mill rate is projected to not move again for the third year in a row. So I know one of the questions on there, you know, a resident asked about about that because that's why I keep looking down. I'm trying no, to refresh. Ahead. Um, but you know, that was one of the things that we worked on, and we had talked about in this five-year plan and keeping the mill rate stable, and that was our goal. You know, if you look at the model that everybody likes to use, which is Shelton, uh, you know, it took you know Mayor Loretti and his team, you know, 26 years to get to where they are, but their mill rate hasn't moved in nine years. So that's what we're trying to accomplish as well. And Seymour, this will be year three of the mill rate not moving, but that takes into account large cuts in state funding. And, you know, the core of this problem and the reason these people had to be laid off can be laid directly at the feet of Governor Malloy. And I don't mean to pick on him, but this is the problem when you don't use, when you're not fiscally responsible and you don't do the things that you should, this is the outcome of that. The state has no other place to go but to the municipal funding. And with the changes that were made uh, yesterday, with the, where they put money back in for Medicare, which was a good thing and something that they should have been doing, that increases that $220 million deficit to $270 million. 
and the governor has already said that he'd like to cut an additional hundred million dollars in this budget from municipalities. So that could be another five or six hundred thousand dollars that Seymour gets cut. And how cut. would Seymour absorb? You've already laid off the school district's laid off thirteen people. Cut programs. What else can? At, at this point, it would be cuts to more positions. And it's, then, it's salary and services is where we're at at this point. I wanted to ask you, uh, there is a mill rate stabilization fund in the town of Seymour. Uh, you just uh, last month released a, a press release pointing out that the town's bond rating was kept uh, as is, mm -hmm. which is an accomplishment given the chaos of the last year and the fiscal uncertainty in the state. Yep. Uh, was there any way or why didn't the town allocate more money to the school district. Why didn't the school district or the school board go to the finance committee and say, or board of finance and say, like, hey, we're in a rough spot. We're going to have to lay off people unless you guys can cut loose some more funding for us. The issue with that is these are compounding problems. The money, is, the money that's cut from the state, let's not kid ourselves, is never coming back. So if we were to send a one-time revenue source to fill this hole, we're still going to have to address this problem You've dug a hole in next year's budget. Right. And that's where towns get in trouble, where they use one-time revenue sources, so they pay for reoccurring expenses with their fund balance. I mean, that's a dangerous proposition, because as those salaries continue to grow, because they're going to compound with raises and things like that, that revenue source gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So there was no, it wouldn't be fiscally prudent for us to do that. And we then, would just be kicking the can down the road, and I, I won't do that. And then just quickly, and I'm sorry to jump around. No, no, it's okay. Were these union workers, and where was the union and all this, and was there any thought of giving furlough days or a union gives back or opening up contracts to uh, lessen the, the, the blow of laying off 13 people? I know that was discussed particularly at the board level because I was at that meeting, and it was raised by several of the members. But you have multiple unions involved in the Board of Education, and this group of uh, 13 employees is a union pretty much onto itself. So they would have had to get concessions from other unions, whether it be the teachers' unions, the administrators' unions, and so on and so forth, which in theory sounds easy but isn't necessarily always as easy. And again, when you talk about teachers, if a teacher takes a furlough day, if the teacher doesn't come in and work that day, well, you have to have a substitute teacher fill that spot. So there's not necessarily a savings there. So you know the, the teachers themselves would have had to say, yes, we're going to work, but just not get paid for that day. And you know if those conversations were had with the teachers, uh, I, I can't speak to. I don't know if they were or were not. But you know things like that could that have saved a few of those pair of jobs? Potentially, it could have. I don't know. Thank you for ending as I'm taking a sip there. We're like, well, you, know. you know, Mike and the Mad Dog here. So we're 30 minutes into this. We're going to take uh, questions if there are any. Uh, Ethan will, will tell us. But I just wanted to say. Ethan behind the glass? Again, yes, the Robin Quivers of this podcast. Uh, this, this podcast is yes. sponsored by valleygivesback.org. Go to that website. Uh, they're, they're trying to spread the word about a new way to support nonprofits, charities, and valley causes. It's valleygivesback.org. And you, you know what? I can jump in and help your commercial out. I, I can speak firsthand because last year my brother and I opened a fund for my parents. And I want to tell you, it was very easy to do. You, know, you just reach out. I had the conversation with Sharon. She walked me right through it, filled out the paperwork, had it taken care of. So anybody that's considering doing something like that, the Valley Community Foundation is absolutely the place to do it. And this new initiative is about planned giving. And yep. if you look back, we had Sharon Kloshis on 
last year uh, to talk about that. I'm sure we'll have her on again. But uh, a word from our sponsor. Here, you can take a, you can, you know, well, we didn't get you any water. But adding a Valley charity to your estate plan creates a lasting legacy that tells future generations what causes matter to you. That's right. Your action will inspire others to follow your lead and make a difference. With a planned gift, you have the power to impact the Valley community forever without affecting your current lifestyle. Learn more at valleygivesback.org. Plan now, give later, impact tomorrow, valleygivesback.org. All right, Ethan, do we have questions from the public? Has Kurt Miller planted people? I'm sorry. I don't do that. I know. Uh, We have one question. It's not all the time. One question. From uh, Rosemary. It's not an election year. Rosemary Camogne. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. She says, can we please have a reduced town tax rate for seniors? You are taxing us out of town. And I've also asked if anybody else has any other questions, and I'll let you know. Do you have a response? How are you helping or not helping seniors? And, in fact, are you trying to drive your parents elsewhere? Well, what I like to do, well, my, well I can talk about my parents. <laughs> that was just being... They're in Florida, so they don't care. Oh, they're um, gone. Yeah. They're like well, they're down there with Jody Rowe. Yeah. So the um, which makes Ethan really mad, by the way. He's yeah. uh, well, no, they're just the snowbirds. They go on for a couple gotcha. months and then come back. But the you know, to, to her question, you know, we have this the tax stabilization in there for seniors, and what it is, it, it's a it's a pool of money that the seniors can apply to, and it helps reduce their taxes. And the amount they get is based on the number of people who qualify and apply. And, and things like that. that. If I'm a senior or if I pose that question, maybe she doesn't know about that. How do I avail myself of that? You, you call the uh, the tax assessor's office, and then they'll they'll walk you through what you need to qualify for that. But it, you know, it's a pool. It's a limited pool of money, and then it's fifty thousand dollars, and the seniors get rebates off that. It's usually you know a hundred or hundred twenty-five dollars. So it's not a huge amount, but it certainly helps out. But again, I want to stress the mill rate is projected to stay level for a third year in a row. And the value to that is as our, our operation is run more efficiently, businesses are more interested in coming to Seymour because they can plan a little bit better. And, I, you know, we've talked about this before. When businesses like Thule um, Basement Systems are making the type of investments that they're making in Seymour, that's going to help stimulate growth. And with stimulated growth, allows you to keep the mill rate stable. So... We are definitely working on that. It is a priority. It was a big topic of that summit that we talked about. That economic the, development. Yeah. Well, not, not just economic development because that's important, but it's running your operation and making sure it's efficient. And decisions that you're making today don't have ripple effects down the road that make them unaffordable. And what we've seen in the past is, uh, and the state is notorious for this, it makes a decision on what it needs for the budget that it's currently dealing with and doesn't think about budgets down the road. I mean, we have a, what is a projected $3 billion deficit for the next biennium budget, which they're not even worrying about addressing. We're trying to address not only the current budget, but budgets down the road to make sure that there's not these large spikes in the mill rate. That's why we've been able to keep it stable now for three years. And speaking about your running for a state treasurer, have you... Uh, I have an exploratory <laughs> committee for statewide office, and I have not committed to any office as of yet, because if I were to agree to what you just said, that potentially nice. could be considered that I've announced for a particular office, and that could get me in trouble. 
Have you, you have uh, explained to me, because we're, again, I'm, I'm an ignoramus, especially when it comes to these state issues. Yep. Uh, you're raising money. I am raising money, yes. How is it going? Yesterday we had Mayor Bowton, one of your... Good friend of mine, yes. Good friend of yours yep. over in Danbury. He, yep. he, he threw his hat into the ring. He did. Yet again. He was also a guest on my, uh, my horror movie podcast. I'll just throw that out there. Uh, I don't know if he knew that or not. But uh, how is the fundraising going for you? What's your magic dollar? When do you have your big... Where did J.R. Romano come down and like pat you on the back? And when does all that happen? Um, you know, My goal in December, because I've, I've had the Exploratory Committee open for about a month, was to raise about $5,000 just to get some seed money in place to take care of some small infrastructure things, website, things like that. So we were able to, to hit that goal. Um, I had said that by the second or third week in January that I would make a, a decision as to which office I would be running for. My primary focus... Or not the, run. I guess or not run, yep. Better. Over the last uh, four or five weeks has been just reaching out to RTC chairs, party elders, uh, people that are involved, and kind of gauging the level of support that I would have, gathering opinions. Uh, I will be moving forward with a statewide run. And I'll be announcing probably the end of next week, specifically what office that will be. Once I oh, make, so you are going to run. I that, will be that's, that's Yeah, I will be going for. It. I will definitely, definitely be running uh, for office in statewide office in 2018, and I'll announce that probably the end of next week. Once I make that announcement, then the fundraising will begin. It'll be a serious effort in fundraising. And so you were just elected. Right, just this November, you were elected to your fourth two-year term. Correct. So you're going to be at the end of this year, you'll have completed one of your two-year terms. Correct. Seymour first selectman. Okay. Yes. So you're giving Seymour the high hat, possibly. Well, I would say that a little bit differently. One of the biggest issues that Seymour is having right now is issues with funding from the state of Connecticut because of its lack of financial. Management as and, evidenced by laying off thirteen right. clerical power professionals. And the two positions that I'm looking at, and we've discussed this, or two of the positions I'm exploring, is treasurer and comptroller. And I think those two positions would have a direct impact on the finances of the state of Connecticut, which would benefit the town of Seymour. So I wouldn't say that I was leaving Seymour. I would say that I'm trying to put myself in a position that could help benefit Seymour for the long term. And then just explain, I know I've asked you this before, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself. And also, if I apologize if I'm just concentrating on Seymour, uh, Seymour, Seymour, not the, the larger picture oh, that's here. That's okay. But uh, if you, you are, so you make your announcement, will you finish out your term as first selectman, or do you step away from it to concentrate on this run? What will happen there? Uh, I will continue as first selectman, and then nights and weekends is when I would be doing the campaigning. Okay. Yeah. Do we have any other questions from uh, the general <coughs> public? No. no one wants snow removal? No one wants to complain about snow removal or I, nothing? Trash pickup? None at this time. Wow. Snow, so you listen, I'd I, I like to throw a ahead. plug for our public works guys. I mean, and I, I was, that's just what people talk about and have been talking our about. Our snow removal, I think the, the guys did a fantastic job. Um, they get started early pre-treating the roads and uh, were out uh, basically for about 20 hours working hard and you know, got through everything they needed to get through. Actually, one of the residents sent me a uh, message to say they can't believe that they can actually see the pavement, that the pretreatment that, that had been done in advance, plus the plowing once the, you know, the road started to warm up with cars driving on and things, heated that road up and 
you know, brought it right down to the asphalt. So, you know, kudos to, to them for the hard work and effort that they, they put in. We actually just got a question from <coughs> Julie Lynn. She says, newspaper reports say Hartford plans to reduce rail service on Waterbury Line. Does that mean there's a better chance the 67-42 road will be built? Uh, that's actually a really good question. Say, can you repeat that for me? Uh, newspaper no, reports no. say Hartford plans to reduce rail service on Waterbury Line. Does that mean there's a better chance the 67-42 road will be built? And, and just to give a little perspective on her question, and it's a great question, the 67-42 connector is the one that runs essentially from downtown Seymour by subway and mm -hmm. stop and shop, would run all the way into Beacon Falls along Route 8. That would open up that land directly behind Stop and Shop that's owned by the Haynes family. There's about 240 acres or so back there um, that they have a plan to develop. It's a nice mixed-use product that once the project in Oxford is completed, that's the next thing they're going to turn their attention to. The bill that road is about $10 million. Um, I and don't. You've been trying to get money to fund. We that have. For we've been partnering a long time. Yeah, with Beacon Falls, uh, we've applied for three Tiger grants. Uh, Tiger grants are federal transportation grants, large ones. Uh, unfortunately, we have uh, been unsuccessful. We're going to apply again. Uh, Rick Dunn from uh, now NVCOG, Naugatuck Valley Cog, and his team lead that process for us. Myself and First Selectman Bielik of. Uh, Beacon Falls work hand-in-hand hand, uh, with our state and federal delegation. But unfortunately, that money, a lot of time, ends up going to the bigger cities. Um, you know, Waterbury got one. I believe New London has gotten one in, in recent years. So, But to answer Julie's question, no, I don't think it will have any impact on that. Uh, it's very unfortunate that rail service on the Waterbury branch line is not up to snuff. Yeah, because my, I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at uh, an article here from the Post I mean, I saw that they're talking about increasing fares because we just had Jim Gilday on a few weeks ago with Rick Dunn, and we've been talking for years now about the services that's supposed to be coming to improve the Waterbury branch and how important it is to economic development. And now we're just what's ha is it now we're going to build a road into the woods? Well, no, no. The, well, the the road, the connector between 67 and 42, is simply a benefit for Seymour and Beacon Falls. Mm -hmm. So that would be a huge push to economic development in both towns. That really doesn't necessarily benefit the corridor as a whole because the corridor as a whole is looking at getting someone from Bridgeport right up to Waterbury on a lot more frequent basis than they're able to do now. And because of the way the rail is set up, you can't have trains going up and down at the same time like you can on a lot of other lines. Mm -hmm. So we need to make investments in that infrastructure to change that. With the increase to the fares, that's coming... So the problems that DOT is having because of the budget crunch. The transportation lockbox we were supposed to. Which, yeah, is about as safe as throwing a $100 bill, or $100 bill out your window. Um, that There's a, so much pressure on What are you trying to say there? If you threw a $100 bill out the window and let kidding. it blow in the wind, somebody's going to take it. So Sonia would be walked back up here within minutes, and they would say, sir, you dropped this. I just don't want to upset Mayor Cassetti. No, you don't want to upset Mayor Cassetti. He's got a, he's got a nice right hook. But the, the issue with the fares is because of the problems DOT is having mm -hmm. and their inability to fund. So they need to increase revenue streams that are coming in. That's why there's an increase to fares. That has no impact on improving the line between Bridgeport and Waterbury. Okay. Well, I can't imagine asking people to pay more to ride a train that never comes. Mm. 
Well, that's uh, government. We have uh, another question from Jeremy Kitless. Uh, <coughs> is there any chance that Seymour could have a boat launch for Housatonic River access? Oh. It's actually yeah. something that we have been uh, working on. We're, our primary focus is having something for emergency use first. I mean, we have some loose agreements with some owners down on the river that allows us to put uh, our boats in if we need to for some type of emergency on the river. We're trying to secure our own boat launch, and then once that's done, we would look for something more for recreational use that was managed by the town. Yeah, because unfortunately, I have to go around to the other side over to uh, Derby. It's wonderful. Or Shelton to get in. And uh, what's this? There's some uh, creepy thing developing with kayaks on the on the Naugatuck. Have you heard anything about this? Yeah, there's By, uh, there's kind of a, a crazy woman that just recently moved into Seymour that uh, is working with our former King Valley Indy reporter Jody Gill, the professor. Um, she's been working with uh, Mary McNellis, our director of community service, coming up with a proposal for that. Uh, it's it's moving along, so maybe it's something that we might see in the spring or summer. Waterbury stops. Having sewage spills. And yeah, that, that, fish. that's that a problem. Really, yeah, that was a little nasty. Nobody wants that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, unless if we don't have any other questions or if we have some, feel free to interrupt. But I wanted to talk briefly about uh, uh, Linda Gentile retiring. Yep. Uh, I, I mean, I we were sort of like, our reaction was Ethan said, well, there's this Democratic wave that's supposed to happen. This is maybe good news for state Democrats. And I kind of said, well, we're... The Valley is not like exactly the rest of the... I mean, that conventional wisdom might not mm -hmm. apply here in the Valley, especially if you look at uh, George Logan uh, being elected uh, for Ansonia Derby, Rich Zekin. Mm -hmm. uh, what did Tom do that was so wrong that they just took it away from your party for 34 years? I believe years? he was only there for one term, if I'm not mistaken. And then he went, to work, he went to work for Deep, I believe. Okay. So I don't know if that... Correlator, he went to deep after he lost. I'm not sure, but so uh, what do you think <coughs> the chances are? Are, are your chances better than ever uh, for Republicans? And who, who give us some? We're, we're we're 50 minutes into this. Just let us know what are you hearing? Who's going to run? We Cara Rochelle told us she's the Naugatuck Valley uh, mm -hmm. Young Democrats yep, okay. yep. aligned with your nemesis Stephen Bohuniak. Stefan. Uh, Stefan. Oh, I just messed that up. I, I'm sorry, but she said Stefan. No, I was the one who said your name right now. No, yeah. <coughs> Because I screw his name up all the time, too. But Cara Rochelle had said that she would uh, consider it, I believe, mm -hmm. were her, her words. Uh, we asked Joe Jowman. Uh, we're Yowman. here. Yowman. Yowman. All right. yep. That's yep. I should not. Uh, this is why I write. But look, we're, you know, we were trying different things. Uh, Yowman, Mayapak, New York native, or Mahopak, had said uh, he's, he hasn't made a decision, yep. but we're hearing Republicans are going to push him as the candidate what are what are you hearing oh well it's a different district than than i'm in um, right. you know I, I think the potential for the republicans to take that seat is uh substantially better with linda not running i think linda was a, a popular state rep i think linda did a, a nice job and not only for ansonian derby but linda had the whole valley in mind when she was in hartford which was a, a good thing linda and i worked together on a lot of different things and she would be quick to reach out and you know, if it was a Valley-related issue, um, she would be quick to reach out and kind of give an update uh, just to make sure that, you know, I was aware of what we, was going on. We but. were struck by the fact that, like, nobody, you know, we kind of went for the uh, the juicy, hey, was, and people were all, well, look, first, that's, it was almost like we did it too early. People were saying, 
well, respect to, the, to this legislator. And she's very popular. Well, here's the thing. You, you know, we're Republicans and Democrats, and, you know, we fight to win elections, and we have philosophical differences. But at the end of the day, we all want what's best for our communities or what's best for our state. And, you know, how you conduct yourself when you're doing your business, I think, goes a long way in, in what other, you know, politicians think of you. And Linda always handled her business the right way. She was always respect, respectful. She was always courteous. I mean, she was tough. Don't get me wrong, Linda. It was by no means a pushover. But the way she handled herself, I think, is why you got the reactions that you did. Now, am I happy that Linda is no, not running because it pro provides an opportunity for a Republican to take that seat? Absolutely, 100%. Am I sad that Linda, the person, is not going to be involved? I am, because she's, she's a good lady and you know, she's earned that respect. But So what Republicans have you heard might throw their hat into the ring? You know, I've heard, you know, Joe's name mentioned. Um, you know, there's some names that I'd like to throw in just to stir up some... This is the place for it. ...some controversy because, oh. you know, different town... Phil Tripp, I guess, told Ethan. We had asked Phil Tripp. Uh, Ansonia Alderman ran against Joe Crisco yep. a few years back. He said he's not considering running at this time. Well, Phil's, Phil's a name. You know, uh, I think Laura Vaccaro is another name. Maybe that could do that. I believe he's the new president of the Board of Aldermen in Ansonia. Um, you know, smart guy, stu politician. John Marini, I think you asked uh, he too, Ethan? Yeah, he said no. I think John Marini would another, be a, another, yeah, another great name. Um, you know, definitely smart guy. Yeah, listen, it's, it's Ansonian Derby, and the Ansonian Derby charters... Hmm. allow their chief elected officials to uh, potentially run for and carry both offices. Oh, I did not even know this. Okay. So, you know, you could maybe a, a Mayor Cassetti or a Mayor Zekin could throw their hat into, you know, popular people in these two towns. So it, it could be a lot of different people. And we, we asked uh, Democrats to, Ethan, you had reached out to Tarek Raslin to see if he might consider running. He, he just ran against... Uh, Mayor Cassetti uh, in Ansonia. He uh, was new to town, new to political life. Uh, but what did he say to you, if anything? And you uh, might yeah, have to talk about it. Uh, how are we doing sound-wise? Everything is like... Good, yeah, yeah. In an email, he said, uh, I'm focusing on City Hall and helping statewide candidates, so I will not be seeking the nomination. Uh, but I will be working hard to support and campaign with the endorsed candidate. So... Raslin says he's not uh, pursuing that uh, that office. Yeah, so what, what Democrats are going to do? See, it? but that, I just want to say, that's a smart answer from somebody that's not very seasoned. Because if he immediately jumped into this race, he now goes from somebody that wants to help the community to somebody that's turning into an opportunist that's just looking to climb a ladder. That's actually a very smart, very politically astute answer that he gave. So I give him credit for that. Who have you heard on the Democratic side? You can go gossip about them, right? I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I, I haven't really heard any names. I mean, I was surprised when I got the email from you that Linda wasn't running, so I haven't had an opportunity. But I'm, you know, I'm trying to talk Stefan into moving to Ansonia, if that's possible. Just to, no, I'm only kidding. Um, it, it, there's, you know, the the Valley. I like that we're trying to set uh, up this. Uh, rivalry between you two. That's fun. Yeah. Oh no, we have we have a good time with it. He, he's acting on something. He's a good guy. He's. Um, he's, lear he's learning a lot, and um, yeah, listen, he's going to be a viable candidate in the future for whatever he wants to run for. And I, ha I reached out to Michael Mandel, who's a spokesman for the state Democrats, uh, and we meant to do this for the story, but he got yep. back to me uh, 
after we had already published, but, uh, you know, he thanked uh, Gentile, said she's been a great leader, a great uh, uh, representative for Ansonia Derby, and he said this year will be a strong year for Democrats because their grassroots momentum has been growing since the municipal elections. With the right candidates, we can elect strong Democrats who will <coughs> put the interests of their constituents and our state ahead of the interests of their party. One thing CT Republicans can't do or haven't been able to do. Uh, I don't believe the premise that the GOP is stronger in, in these communities. I just believe that local races are always defined by local factors. Because I had said that there's this GOP resurgence happening uh, in Ansonia and Derby. It was already strong in Seymour. Well, he said, Shelton. you know, he, he, for a professional spokesperson, he said something in the beginning of his statement and something the complete opposite at the end of his statement. He said that there's this big Democratic wave that's coming, but... You can't. Well, that was even. Oh, okay, okay. Because I was going to say that he he said two, two completely different things. We were just repeating. Listen, local conventional wisdom. Local races, yeah. mayors and first selectmen, a lot of times are based on local issues. There's not a huge correla correlation between what's going on nationally and a lot of times even statewide with these local races. You can get picked off because I believe it was the a woman in I think it's New Fairfield. There was an issue with parking. For uh, they have a state pond or a state lake, and squats that, that was a big to do, and mm -hmm. um, you know that ended up being her her downfall. You know the mayor of Bristol had some issues, um, you know, yeah, uh, uh, personal, um, and you know I think that's what led to his downfall. So I don't necessarily agree that there's any type of Republican or Democratic wave. And then Michael, just because. Michael Mandel continued, I certainly do not think. That was reflective of an electorate that believed, and this is commenting on, on the fact that uh, Ansonia Cassetti won by a landslide yeah. and Zekin uh, unseated Democrat in, in, uh, in Derby. And Mandel said he didn't think it was reflective of an electorate that believed the Republican way of doing business, which he characterized as ripping health care away from the middle class, supporting a GOP tax cut that hurt communities like Ansonia and Derby. Uh, across CT in order to support the <laughs> GP donor class. I'm trying so not, he kind of. I'm trying not to in, laugh at this comment. But he segues into the national picture here. That's the thing because he does it as a representative of the Connecticut Democratic Party. He's going to do everything he possibly can to take your attention away from the train wreck that is Hartford, and that rests squarely on. I thought the you were going to say of, the president's Twitter feed. No, no, that rests squarely on the back of Governor Malloy and the Democratic-controlled legislature for the last 30 years. They can try to shy you away from that by saying all these things about Donald Trump this and Donald Trump that. That's not what the problem is. The problem is the policies put forth by this Democratic-controlled legislature and blessed by Governor Malloy are our problem. And if you look at the change to the Connecticut legislature over the last 12 years, it is completely opposite to what he's saying. What he's saying is complete fantasy. Now, the residents just, of the state of Connecticut, now you got me rolling. Yeah, the so residents of the state of Connecticut we gotta go. have slowly over the last 12 years said to this legislature, enough is enough. And what was a huge supermajority and a tiny minority is now basically even to the point where the Senate is deadlocked. And I fully expect that both houses are going to flip Republican in 2018. So Even if, now I know, I know probably Ethan wants to get in on this and feel free to... Uh, we had, I mean, yesterday President Trump uh, talked about immigration, and mm -hmm. he let the cameras in for about an hour and basically let reporters and the, and the, and the public see how uh, the sausage is made. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was some talk while he wanted to show people essentially that he's not crazy. Right. Uh, <laughs> do you think, uh, and I don't know if that was what he was doing, right. that's just what I've read. Uh, his 
we had talked about President Trump when he was a candidate, yep. or you know, then just the you know the reality show guy. Uh, and I had said, like, I, you know, personally, I oh, I didn't think he was fit for office just because I listened to Howard Stern and I wouldn't vote for a whack packer. And you know, uh, but he is the president now, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and you know, he just this week Bannon split with them. It's always like one drama after the other. It seems uh, his Twitter feed can be problematic. Yeah. Uh, but that is, is there a point where local Republicans or state Republicans have to uh, uh, be accountable for what he's doing? Does it hurt you as a as a Republican, and do you think it hurts your your party's cause uh, in the state? I mean, is it a legitimate distraction from Governor Malloy's mishandling of uh, of the state? Um, well, and will more Democrats come out in the midterms to say? Aren't they more motivated? Aren't Democrats more motivated now because they've got what they feel is a madman on Twitter challenging the madman on Twitter about the size of buttons who's been there for 12 months. Less actually less than 12 months. Do you think he's the cause of the financial crisis that the state of Connecticut is in? I'm just a reporter. I don't know. I don't know either. Absolutely not. But that's what the Connecticut Democratic Party will say over and over again. They will point to Donald Trump's doing this and Donald Trump's doing that. What impact does the last 12 months have to do with the fiscal crisis that the state of Connecticut is in. That was not created over the last 12 months. That was created over the last 40 years of bad decisions by their Democratic-controlled majority. There were Republican governors for a lot of understand. Roland and Rell. What can a well, what can a Republican governor That's what Democrats do? Democrats would say if they if they have a super they have a veto-proof majority, which they did for a lot of those years. Now listen, I'm not absolving. Governor Rell and Governor Rowan, because they made some mistakes on some of the contracts. I mean, that well, it, 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 that oh, other than being put yeah, in jail, yeah, other than going to jail. Oh. But uh, some of the contracts they negotiated, I think, were, were bad deals, and I would absolutely um, agree with that. But they, the Democratic legislature, controlled the agenda, they controlled the votes, they controlled the policy for forty years. And now, suddenly, they're going to say that over the last 12 months, that President Trump is the cause of all of this? That's just being disingenuous to the residents of the state of Connecticut. And this is the reason why, over the last 12 years, they've been slowly, their majority has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller, because people are losing trust in their ability to make the appropriate decision. Uh, and then just switching gears a little bit. Oh, this but, is fun. But, but wow. talking about a national... Still, I wanted to keep it on Trump a little bit. I want to get the Trump doll done. We have one last question. People hate it. when... It's uh, a local question. Uh, it wouldn't be a Seymour podcast if there weren't a question about Tritown. Well, yeah, I was going to say that. Julie, Julie Lynn asks, as Mr. Spector... <laughs> There, that that will never be developed. Let's put it. You know, and yeah, every time you've been on here, oh, they're going to tear it down. Oh, they're going to put up reads. You know, yes, like, yesterday when you sent me the email about what you know, kind of what we we're going to talk about, mm -hmm. and there was no mention of Tritown. I'm like, you know, so I should probably shoot him a text just to kind of get an update. And I, I didn't do that, so I have to apologize. I don't have an update. I haven't talked to him. In, I mean, that. I mean, in a couple it, weeks, it's it's almost glaring now. And yeah. maybe I, I don't mean to editorialize, but no, no. we've seen. Uh, uh, the Valley Bowl was bulldozed and reborn. Panera yep. Bread, mm -hmm. the Big Y. I mean, Walmart left, which was a huge blow to Derby, and now the Big Y is actually coming in. 
Haynes in Oxford has mm-hmm. that's incredible. And in Shelton, I mean, every five days there's something. But and yet, Tri Town Plaza just sits there. Mm-hmm. Not that, I mean, I go to the movies. I just saw the Last Jedi there. It's a yeah. it's a great shopping center. I get my Dunkin' Donuts, Tire Shack. It's all beautiful. Yeah. Uh, but it's just stagnant. What? What's and then you, we don't know. Why well, at I, this point you, the town's. It's yeah. not something you can't, anybody campaign on. It used to be a campaign issue with first selectman races. But. It did. And there's really, at this point, nothing that the town can do. You know, we can make calls. Other than get we angry? Can, or? Well, yeah, you can get angry, but, you know, you get angry that the sun comes out. You know, you can't, it's, you have to keep your anger focused, I guess, and that's not something that's worth getting angry over because, unfortunately, there's nothing that the town can do. And you it, know what? I cut off the question. Did, 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 you, did you actually read the question before I started blabbing? You just said, uh, has Mr. Spector, he's no, no. the owner, finally committed to apply for teardown permit of Plaza? Oh, would that? No. Okay. I mean, I can flat out answer that question. The answer is no. And last we heard, there was some type of the remi- asbestos removal that did not go the way. There's some dispute happening yes. between. And my last update was the dispute was ongoing but was getting near conclusion. Did, has and it made then, its way to a civil court? I, I don't know. I didn't ask. Um, but that once that process was done, then the demo permits would be applied for and, and things would move forward. But I'm not going to give a time frame anymore because it would just be a, a guess. At this point, I know I'm thinking like all the all the, the it, when Bohuniak runs for first selectman, he just has to go through the podcast and lists all the different excuses for trying to. Well, listen, I'd rather talk about the you know almost twenty million dollars invested in Seymour by Basement Systems and Thule, two of our largest taxpayers and employers. And when your largest taxpayers and your largest employers are making that type of reinvestment in the community, I think they would agree the community's heading in the right direction. You know, why does Bob Sinto keep building in Shelton? Because he believes in the Shelton store, and he's going to keep reinvesting his money there. We want Larry Janeski to believe the Seymour story and continue to reinvest in Seymour. We want Larry Janeski to be the Shelton version of Bob Sinto. All right. How's that, How's that for a like plug? All I could think was like, uh, hey, if you want to buy an ad on the Valley Indy, it's $99. Political uh, ads, too? For... We've done political ads, yeah. I think you just did one. We'll probably get in, I'm probably getting a fine. When did I do SEC. political ad? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If there's anything you want to bring up, I was going to ask you about... If you want to put my exploratory committee website on the bottom, I mean, that one might be a bridge too far, but it certainly wouldn't hurt. The latest, uh, 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 I mean, there is... What's that book called? Wolf and Fire. Wolf, Coyote, Fire, Fire and Fury. Fury. Did you buy it? Not yet, but I'm so going to... So you're going to I'm going to, yeah, and read it. Do you think, I mean... There's this whole debate as to whether it's true or not true. Or uh, what, What's your reaction to what's happened the last week in Washington, D.C. in terms of fire and fury, in terms of Steve Bannon defecting or being booted? I, uh, I, I love how like the, the, the Mercer family, it, it, the, the mainstream media is so biased and that you have a guy installed by rich people who gets booted the, the, the minute he goes against the family's line. Uh, anyway, that's not that's not journalism. Well, that's you know, all I have to say, I don't trust anything that comes out of the mainstream news these days because they have their agendas, and it's gone are the days of you know but, reporting. But, but, but compared oh, to Breitbart, well, the, uh, the, I, I said mainstream. I'm not talking about the crazy nutjobs. Listen, the days of the Walter Cronkites, and we all grew up in that era. When Walter Cronkite said something, I think you can all agree that it was you had confidence. 
in what he was saying, that it was accurate, that it was researched, that it was it was good. Mm-hmm. You know, he instilled that confidence in people. I don't see that same confidence now in the mainstream media. But I watched, you're going to buy Michael Wolf's book. Well, because I want to read it. It's I'm just interested to see what it has to say. You know, you would think that I watch Fox all the time, but I actually watch CNN every morning because I'd like to hear essentially what the other side is saying. And, you know, Governor Cuomo's son, and I can't even think of what his Andrew. name is. Thank you. Off the top. Of, or no, the, the reporter. Chris. Well, Chris, yeah. I mean, he has... I'm a, a New Yorker. I just... I, that's, that's he has an agenda. He does not like the president. And he will spin every story somehow the opposite direction. The president can say the sky is blue and he's going to come out and argue that it's, you know, it's a shade of green. But it, it's kind of good to hear that. But how can you have faith in an organization like that that's dedicated just to the news that is that biased and that slanted. And I say the same thing about Fox News. Fox News is ridiculous to the other side. So, you know, where is that center ground? Where is that place that you can confidently say, yes, I'm getting the best possible news that I can, that's accurate, that is unbiased, that's vetted, I don't see any sources. Yeah, what is out your? There. What do you consume? Like, what 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 sites do you for national news? Uh, what, what do you? What newspapers do you read? What what do you hit up? Uh, honestly, I, I mean, I, I don't really read the newspaper. I do all of my stuff online, and my favorite stop is the Valley Indy. Just to throw that plug for in there, Steve Bannon for news? my Steve Bannon news. But you know, I'll go to Yahoo. I'll go to you know MSN. Those places. Okay, and so see you're the going. Big, you're kind of the, the those major are AP, Reuters, right? The major the feeds. Okay. Um, but then I do try to watch, like I said, CNN. I do try to watch Fox to get a balance of the two. And then I like to think that I'm intelligent enough to make my own decision. To, that I'm not. And you know, I'm not a blindly follow President Trump guy. You're not and, a, yeah, like a ne- partisan. Never was. Never. I mean, I'm a very um, liberal Republican. I mean, that's obvious. But I, I don't, just because the president says something, I don't necessarily think it's it's right. I don't think it's Not correct. It, it, I treated President Obama the same way. Just because he said something, I, I didn't automatically go to that's wrong. So you have to listen to what everybody's saying and form your own opinion. But I, I don't have the trust in the media that I did back when I was a kid. I do, like, <coughs> I was, I've started to watch, I mean, I swore off cable news for decades. I, I mean, I watched cable news when... Uh, 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 Wolf Blitzer and Bernard was it Bernard Shaw was hiding CNN, under the desk the, yeah. when, when the bombs yeah. fell when, in 1991 when I was like a junior in high school uh, but then like somewhere around OJ I think it went off the rails like the OJ trial it just sort of everything well, news went isn't off the news rails. anymore it's all entertainment yeah and but I've brought myself because I'm not a I, I mean I'm an independent I don't really have I'm not I don't consider myself partisan. Uh, I voted for for both both parties, but I'm not a fan of President Trump. He just offends me personally, right? Uh, just the way he, yep. he, he doesn't have respect, and he never has. And you know, I grew up in New York, and he always knew Trump was always just kind of a cartoon character. But to to watch, so I started to watch Joe Scarborough because I like the fact that he just you know wakes up every day and just beats up the president. But man, you can only take that. Yeah, that's what I'm for saying. So much when when I was watching on Thursday or Friday when the book came out, just to watch all these guys were doing. First of all, there would be no cable news if it wasn't for newspapers because they right. just read the newspaper. Yeah. And then they just pontificate like I am right now, right. which I guess is totally hypocritical. But to, they just for an entire day were reading excerpts from the guy's book. Just 
just the entire day, and it just kind of lost any sense of, uh, I mean, just decency, let alone, let alone fairness. Right. So it is, uh, but I feel like that's where that's the where everyone is getting their information from. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all Logan Paul. Yeah. How many viewers do we have right now? This fifteen. Fifteen. Mm-hmm. The uh, and uh, rest my case. Because you stopped talking about Seymour. This, uh, David Serrata said on Twitter, "If you who's like, that? He's uh, he works for the Ivy Times, I think, International Business Times. Did a lot of reporting on that the tax bill late last year. Uh, but he's he's pointed out repeatedly that um, if you took all the money being paid to pundits, you're not and, even on this. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just my voice. Okay. Yeah. For like the, if you just took the money paid to like pundits and stuff on cable news to just talk about uh, the same things repeatedly uh, and invested that in actual investigative journalism, maybe yeah. that would be better spent uh, than just. But you know, uh, somebody's watching all of this. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, People are getting what they want. So, yeah, and that's what we. Yeah, that's it's what's just like a feedback loop yeah. essentially. So it's like everyone says they want positive news, and but they don't read the pot. I mean, on our website, they don't read the quote positive news. Uh, it's the it's the traffic jam and the house fire, uh, but anyway, now I'm depressed, and uh, I guess we'll end on that note. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Any Seymour news? You have a habit, Ethan and I feel, and again, this is our opinion. You'll you'll come on our program. You'll yeah. talk for an hour and fifteen minutes, which is great, and then like tomorrow there'll be some big announcements, or I'll read meeting minutes. Like you know, Big Y is coming to coming to Seymour. Is there anything at all? You want to uh, uh, get out to the any news? Nothing that I don't want to save until next Tuesday's board of selectmen meeting, because I, I you know I would yeah, love. Your agendas are like your agendas are like public comment, then like selectmen's report, and they're just there's just no way to. They're also it's listed out exactly what's going to happen in the meeting. It's not a secret what we do, but it doesn't say like selectmen's report, and here's the here's the items I'll be hitting on. You know, like. You know, poop on the greenway, dog poop on the greenway. It's just kind of general. It's, it's hard to. It's a hard. It's just a, it's my report, and it depends on kind of what's happened over the last couple of days. And that's what I have to let the selectmen know and give them. So what's going on? Things. What are you going to tell them uh, Tuesday? What's your report? I'll primarily talk about the budget the and where budget. things stand. And yeah, we still have about a three hundred thousand dollar hole in our budget that we're going to need to work on closing. So I'll give them an update on that. And um, you know, so we have some retirements coming up in town. Our uh, police t- chief is police chief. Is uh, so there's going to that'll actually be uh, as an agenda item. Uh, our town council will be coming in to talk to the board of selectmen. I'm going to invite the board of police commissioners, and we're going to talk through the process of replacing the chief. So the mechanics of what the board of police commissioners has to do. Should be a public discussion, or are you going into executive session? No, it, it'll, it'll be in public. Okay. Um, it'll be between the board and the uh, town attorney, and then the chairman of the Board of Police Commissioners, assuming he can make it. If not, then I'll have the next night is the Board of Police Commissioners, so I'll go to that meeting then as well. But we just want to put the process out just to make sure everybody understands what needs to be done, who's responsible for what, try to be as transparent as possible. This is something we haven't done in Seymour in you know, close to 30 years. So we just want to wow. make sure that we have it correct. Uh, everybody's on the same page, and you know we move forward to be able to replace the chief by his retirement date of June 30th, our town of clerk. This year. Yep. Our town clerk is retiring uh, Suda Barber at the end of February. So we'll be uh, working on that. And then in our assessor's office, our assistant assessor, uh, Priscilla Altarelli, she's retiring as well this spring. So we'll be working on uh, her replacement as well. Okay. 
Well, and are you going to go? In, are you going to John Carpenter Night Two at the Strand Theater uh, February tenth, Saturday? Uh, I will be Maybe. unable to attend. I have a previous engagement that night. You, you roll your live, eyes. They live in Escape from New York. But I, I promise, my I will Mayor call Bont you. Mayor Bont will be there. Mayor Bont will be there probably. Um, I will call you next Friday at nine o'clock in the morning. Can we make it Thursday? And I will give you the okay. announcement. Oh right. I forgot. See, that's the thing. I give you a, I give you teaser news, and it just it goes right away. Seymour. I, I keep getting my your and your. I was just talking about Ethan. I think I, I got to go see a doctor. But uh, but all if, right. if you go right down South Main Street, at the end of South Main Street is this town called Seymour. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to, you know, swing by it sometime and see what's going on, we'd we'd love to have you. I'll give you a little tour of the town. You know, maybe give you a town of Seymour mug or a sweatshirt or something. You'd listen, there is a world outside Ansonia and Derby. You could ad- you could advertise ninety nine bucks a, a week. What I don't know. My, that's my my father owns a business. I'm an indentured servant. Trust me. Trust fund kid. All right. Trust we- fund kid. <laughs> I want to thank Kurt Miller. I want to thank uh, uh, the fifteen people who watched this uh, and Jen Magri for coming on and talking about. Uh, you know, we're kidding around at the end, but I want to thank you guys for coming on. No, no, always a, a pleasure to be issue. here. So uh, for Ethan Fry and Seymour First Selectman, Kurt Miller, I'm Eugene Driscoll, and uh, we'll see you next time. And now Ethan will turn that off.